Good morning, good evening, whatever time it is. We appreciate you for joining us. My name is KJ Kearney of Black Food Fridays. I'm here with my good friend, Anella Malik of Feed the Malik. Say, what's up, Anella? What's up, y'all? And we are joined today by Mr. Foodtastic on the Fix Your Plate podcast on the Eat, Drink, and Dine network. Mr. Foodtastic, Jamoke Jackson, how you doing, brother? I'm great, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, listen, you literally just got off the plane to join us. We appreciate that. I'm a, I have a bunch of questions, you know, because you're the homie. But I'm going to let ladies first. I'm going to let Anella go because my questions, I don't know, dog. I think we need to bring some some serious journalism to the conversation. I like okay, it. Well, I, like it. I will start off and keep it really, really simple. Jamoke, just tell us a little bit about yourself, where the name Mr. Foodtastic came from, and we'll start there. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, guys, I am a D.C. native from Washington, D.C., born and raised. I live in Brooklyn, New York now. I am a private chef slash chef consultant. Uh, I also, which I know we'll get into, I'm also the uh, chef behind Everything Legendary, which is a vegan food company. I got the name Mr. Foodtastic from a client a long time ago. And uh, one day in the kitchen, food's good, man. We need you, we need to give you a, a name, something, something, man. This food is fantastic. And then he looked at me and I looked at him. It's a little more dramatic than actually, but he said, Foodtastic. And I was like, yeah, I like it. Let's go with that. Foodtastic. And it just, uh, and then I started using it for all my socials. So it was definitely a wrap once I started down that route. And he hasn't tried to come after you? No, no. Oh, okay, it's, good. It's, it's been some time and he's still, uh, he's still a random client every now and then. So uh, <laughs> he's just <laughs> happy that he gave me the name. <laughs> I love it. Okay, well, we will get into the vegan food company yeah. that you're working with. And um, I think that that story is really interesting. And I know y'all were on Shark Tank. And so there's a lot to unpack there. But first and foremost, you wear like 17 hats, <laughs> right? You are a content creator, whether or not you define yourself that way. You're very active mm -hmm. on social media. I see that you're teaching virtual cooking and baking classes. You're a mm -hmm. private chef as well. So how have you translated your experience in the kitchen into the work you're doing now that's more virtual and on social media? Yeah, so, you know, virtual for me was brand new. I had never done it before. Uh, and it was brought to me from uh, a friend, forwarded me an email one day. This was after I had been in the house for like two months of doing nothing, sitting in quarantine. and it said, we're looking for chefs to do virtual experiences. And I was like, I've got nothing else to do. Let's give it a try. So uh, that was on the chef's feed platform. I did a biscuit class and it was great. Well, one, it got it gave me the opportunity to interact with people, which I hadn't been doing a whole lot of. And so I was like, look, I was like, feeding on that. I was like, I need engagement. So I, I said, you know, this is great. I think I can do this. And it just kind of blossomed from there. I, just a lot of 
Uh, people enjoyed the class and it just kind of spawned a whole bunch of public classes, a whole bunch of sponsor classes and just kind of like became a thing. And then I really tried to hone in on making it a really good experience for people because, uh, you know, you, you walk a, a tight line with teaching people something, but entertaining them at the same time. So that was like my biggest thing. And I'm still doing virtual stuff now, even as the world slowly starts to open back up. And I think that it'll all, always be a part of something that I do just because uh, people have a real interest in it. So it's it's been fun and I love it. And I just try to give the same energy through the screen. That's my biggest goal is giving the same energy, keeping people engaged and entertaining and educating them at the same time. Well, I think that from my view as you know, a digital marketer, that's why you've been so successful in the social media space is because like you combine the education with the entertainment, you know, especially on TikTok, like you bring that energy. I'm like, oh, he's about to do a dance or <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff that even I'm like, I don't have that energy. I just don't. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I dig it. I mean, that's what I like. So I just know what works for me personally. Like I need to be entertained and if I'm going to get a little education at the same time, it's great. So that's just my style. So it just works for the stuff I've done so far. So knock on wood that it continues that way. <laughs> Speaking of your virtual classes, when did you know, because you do very well with the virtual platform, when did you know, like, okay, this is legit going to be a new part of my business? Like, this is something that's going to be able to sustain me or, you know, a part of the legs that sustain me? Yeah, it was probably about a month into doing uh, my virtual classes. Though, I mean, honestly, the first class was financially like an eye opener because I was like, I just did a class for an hour and I probably made as much money as I do working a four hour event, like four or five hour event. So I was like, it's like, and I didn't have to leave my home. And I just started putting it together. I was like, there's something here. Right, so right. I, and I got kind of serious about it and, and really tried to hone my classes and like outline them. And like before it was pretty much a freestyle. Like it was just on something I knew. So then I could just do it. Um, but then I kind of honed in on to outlining it, hitting points, putting a little bit of entertainment in it and just trying to make it a whole package. So probably about a month in, I just, I knew that I was, you know, I knew we weren't going anywhere in terms of uh, being in the house. So I was like, capture the audience while I can. And uh, it's, it just kind of blossomed from there. Okay. I'm going to ask the really real question because I think yep. that as we bring on more people who are doing these creative entrepreneurial ventures, especially in the digital space, we got to get real about money. How yeah. much money are you making on average a month of your virtual um, cooking and baking classes? It just kind of varies now. Um, I will say that I've gotten more, in the, so let me just clarify. I've gotten more into sponsored stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's like, I like I did something for Lexus and Google and like different companies will bring me on. And though that's when I do those, of course, it's a lot more money. So I could make, you know, in upwards of $10,000 off of a class. So it does. I mean, and then I do public class at the same time. So even on a smaller scale, I'll do a small biscuit class on Airbnb where I only make like $300. 
for an hour. So it just it, so that's kind of the range. I think that's such important information though for listeners, yeah. right? Everyone's always talking about like income streams in the digital space and mm -hmm. from chefs to home bakers to bloggers, we all talk about it, but nobody, not a lot of people talk about the numbers. So oh, yeah. chefs now, the world's reopening. Have you seen that demand in your online classes has changed? Yeah, it definitely has changed. Like people are wanting to be out more. So it's, it's not, I think, I've built a good foundation for myself in terms of people that have taken a class, know me, and want to continue that. And so if they live in California, regardless of if the world is open up, regardless if they have vaccines or not, they still want to do a class with me. So I still have an audience regardless of what the world is doing. So, but the demand in general is, I can see it slowly starting to trickle down a little bit. Um, it's just fortunate that I have a good private class business that's kind of like uh, running on its own at this point with like referrals and just getting random emails from people asking me to do classes for them. So last question on this topic, I know yeah. I'm monopolizing it and then I'll, we'll turn over to KJ, but I'm very, cause I'm so curious about this. So demand has changed, but yeah. I can see this being, you know, really interesting segment for chefs who are, are really trying to look towards the future. The world is open. But dining, I don't think will ever be exactly the same. We know yeah. that restaurants are still struggling and a lot of people are trying to decide whether they want to stay in the food service space in the way that they were before mm -hmm. because they don't feel like it's safe or they don't feel supported. And we all know the issues with pay and crazy hours. And mm -hmm. you said that public demand has gone down, but are you going to continue teaching the kind of corporate um, cooking classes? Because we're seeing around the country that Big companies are saying they're going to go fully hybrid. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. getting flexible work. Mm -hmm. So I could see for you that being like really lucrative moving forward. Yeah. No, I'm not going anywhere. I'm definitely staying in the space. I, and I, when I said the demand, I meant more public demand. So for me, there's my private classes and there's my public classes. So for me, the public class demand has slowly started to trickle down a little bit. I can see it and I think it will continue to diminish a little bit, not completely, but definitely a little bit. I think with this, with the pandemic, it just kind of put people in that virtual space a little bit before when they might have gone there naturally. So it's there and it will always be there. It's just, I think the demand, I've personally felt the demand drop a little bit, but me in the private class sector area, I absolutely am full steam in uh, marketing myself to organizations. Like I'm slowly penetrating Facebook right now in terms of like groups and stuff. You know, I did my first class with them a couple of weeks ago um, and just will continue uh, down that road just because it just has worked and it continues to work. Anella mentioned that you wear 17 hats. Mm -hmm. And I know one of the hats that you used to wear was that of a uh, caterer, you know, private mm -hmm. caterer. I know you would fly around and, yeah. you know, do these big dinners for people. Now that the, the digital stuff is working for you, both on the public and private sector, are you thinking about putting that hat back on? Or is that a hat that you will permanently leave to the side going forward? So I'll selectively put it on. When so when the pandemic hit, I lost probably 70% of my business, like within the span of like a few weeks. So uh, it was a lot of like, 
being worried about what was going to happen. I mean, I knew I was going to get out of catering as a whole in general. Like I was going to try to sell my company or something like that or sell my list or something like that a while ago. Um, and I think this whole situation just pushed it forward a little uh, sooner than I expected. But I will do it selectively. And that's currently what, like as old clients call me back up, um, that's where I'm kind of just kind of deciding, do I feel like doing it or do I not feel like doing it? And that's the honest, honest but answer. Okay. And he says he's busy. It's actually because he didn't like working for you before. Something along those lines. <laughs> Listen, Jamoki, you, you now are in this rarefied air that I will get to one day where you can pick and choose, right? Like that's, People, you you have worked very hard to get to this place where now you can say, nope, I don't feel like flying to L.A. I got something else I want to do. So it's funny, but I also want to commend you because, I mean, I just know a little bit of your journey and to mm-hmm. see where you are now, you know, good. Yeah, people should be thankful if they could get on your list. I'd be thankful if you come down <laughs> and, and, you know, say do something for me and my family. If you don't mind, I want to I want to pivot a little bit and uh-huh. talk talk about this exciting company that you yeah. are a part of. You know, me and Anella were talking before you got on, literally about the package space, the the consumer package goods space, mm-hmm. and if that's something that you know she was thinking about or I've been thinking about. You're in the space, so before we talk about your experiences in the space, yeah, let's talk about how you got there in the first place how did you go from tv personality private chef digital online chef and cooking instructor to everything legendary right so Dwayne, who's the, the who is his idea of his company he's the ceo founder i'm a co-founder Danita's a co-founder i've known Dwayne for gosh maybe 15 years something like that a good amount of time uh, we go back and he had this idea for a vegan. I think initially he positioned it to me like it was a vegan fast food company. But I think that's what he was saying. So vegan fast food. And then he's like, I need a burger. And he's not a chef. He's like, you're the best chef I know. I said, thank you. I appreciate that honor. Dwayne, I'm super busy. I don't think I can do it. Dwayne is a very insistent guy, which I appreciate. His hustle is like, his hustle, I think, mimics mine in a different way. Uh, And so I said, Dwayne, if I make you this burger, I promise you, you have to do all the work. Like, I will make the burger, and you have to take it and market the hell out of it. And he said, no problem. So I probably spent a good two and a half, three months working on a burger. I knew vegan food. I didn't know plant-based burgers. So it was like a whole research immersion for me in in terms of like, I had never had an impossible burger. I had never had any other burger out there. So I had to deep dive into it and created this burger. And from the first tasting that we did, uh, which is a small group of people, uh, people liked it. And from there we tweaked it and just grew it. And I mean, we can get into the stories of of its growth, but that was kind of like the birth of it. Let's get into the, the story yeah. of the growth. You know, I know y'all talked a little bit about it on Shark Tank. And let me let me just sidebar, okay? Yeah. One of the things that I was impressed with your team's Shark Tank interview was how y'all knew your numbers. 
Yeah. That was so big. And I want to commend y'all for not just knowing your product, but knowing your figures. I think that had a lot to do with why you've been able to grow because every step of the way you've been paying attention to those details, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. How has that growth been, my brother? Uh, the growth had been tremendous. And I have to, when you said the numbers, I just have to give a quick shout out to Vince, who's kind of like our COO, like an unofficial COO. When we went to film Shark Tank, of course, because of COVID, we had to go on quarantine for like 10 days. Like, So we were sitting in a hotel literally for 10 days doing nothing. And in those 10 days, we practiced, we went over numbers, we did mock sessions with like other people. Uh, and we really fine tuned our presentation and then uh, being prepared for whatever questions were going to come our way. So uh, a definitely shout out to Vince because he prepared us very well. Dwayne did an excellent job with the numbers. We all had our individual roles going in, like, but we, I think we also were prepared to step in if anybody faltered or anything like that. So that we have kind of like a an elastic team tactic approach. Um, and just to kind of be on offense uh, going in there and not just be kind of on our heels trying to juggle whatever they were going to throw at us. And it was a great experience. I think we uh, we nailed the perfect shark. Mark is, I mean, he's already in the vegan food space, so it was a great fit. And then the growth, I mean, we spent, uh, after we filmed it, we spent that time getting ready because we knew the growth was going to be, was going to fly as soon as it hit. So, and it has, like, it's doing very well, to say the least. So could we Word. get a timeline? Because I think that this incredible growth, it just makes a little bit more sense for our listeners if we put some dates on it. So when were you experimenting with this burger patty in your kitchen? Yeah, so that was 2019. That was probably, if I'm remembering the month correctly, probably like mid or early, the first quarter of like 2019. So somewhere in like the April-ish range, we did a tasting probably around June-ish, somewhere in there, like early spring-ish. And then from there, we started doing pop-ups. <clears throat> that was our first thing. That was our first marketing thing. We were just doing pop-ups. We had a space in Maryland that we were doing them right by. FedEx field, we would do pop-ups like once a week. And we kind of grew that. People would come, grab burgers, you know, a whole bunch of people. I promoted it, Dwayne promoted it, Danita promoted it. And we did that for a while. And then we started to do pop-ups in other places. <clears throat> we went down to Atlanta. We did uh, H Street Festival. And we just continued to look for other places to just kind of get a bigger audience. Uh, and then we went into our very first grocery store, which was Brown's, which is a very small local grocery store in Maryland. We went into that grocery store, learned a lot. We made zero money, like zero. Uh, we basically <laughs> broke even. But you broke even, hey. <laughs> yeah, we were learning. So, so that was great. And then around that time, we started the Dwayne Saw thing for Shark Tank. He, he did the uh, application. We put together the video. Uh, he submitted that. And then that whole process with Shark Tank took probably uh, three or four months before they selected us. So it's a very extensive process, like application after application, question after question, Zooms after Zooms, like just like felt like it was like you were being admitted into and they liken it to like getting admitted into like Harvard. Like it's the likelihood that you'll get on the show is very small. 
So we went through the whole process and then we filmed it last August. Okay. So, it's a um, long time to have to sit on it too after mm -hmm. it's filmed, mm -hmm. right? When did it become public? Yeah. Um, and then it became public. They picked an air date about a month before it went on, like roughly a month before it went on. And we talked about it right then. I think when did it air back in, gosh, it's been like a month now. Yeah. We're so in April. March. So like March. Yeah. So uh, we found out probably late February. Honestly, we spent most of that time getting ready. So it, it kind of worked out for us that it took that long for it to air because uh, we might not have been ready as far as having our co-packers set up in California and packaging done and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. We were like pretty down to the close down to the wire. Before, <laughs> uh, we were testing like a, a week or so before uh, Shark Tank was to air. So. so you ended up making this burger and now two years later, you closed a deal, you know, you and your team on Shark Tank with Mark Cuban and you're shipping, correct? In some stores. What would you say is just the biggest impact that the now that, that it's public Shark Tank has had on Legendary? I mean, it gives you instant, it gives you instant credibility. Like it's just instant. Like the numbers are just, it's just instant. It's like an instant audience. And then it's up to you to nurture that audience and to, and to grow it from there. But it gives you an instant base, which is what I think any small business wants. Like they, they are working on building a base. So we have a base, like we have a base. We just have to build it, nurture it and service it well. And so that growth will just come as long as we do the, I think the basic things that are required of a business to deliver on the product, to keep it consistent, to have good customer service and to continue to build our brand story. I wanted to ask about credibility, right? You said it gives you credibility. So yep. do you feel like throughout this journey as a small black owned business that you have had people question your credibility? Do you feel like that you've had any, you know, sort of like struggles in your growth that are rooted in that identity or have probably because a lot of this happened during COVID, do you kind of feel like y'all have just been grinding, <laughs> grinding away, you know, in your, in your respective little silos a little bit on your own? Yeah. I mean, I think there's always that uh, you're always looking for credibility. And of course, I don't think it naturally came to us. Like we had to, to get it. I think the, uh, the the greatest thing for us was that the burger was well received from, from the start. It stayed pretty consistent. Um, I, we, I, I recruited Cynthia Betterson, who is actually, she used to work for Purdue in their research department and in terms of product development. I had never scaled a product before. Like I've never had a product in a grocery store or trying to make a million burgers in one fell swoop. Like I didn't know how to do that. So she was a great resource, got to refer to me from an old uh, high school friend of mine. We brought her on to help us scale the burger. Like I knew how I made it. Um, it was very, I'm a, uh, I'm a self-taught chef. So my approach is very smidgety pinch. Like it's yeah. not, I'm not a quarter of a teaspoon. I'm just not that guy. He said so, his measurement, his unit of measurement is a smidgety pinch. That's me. Put that on the t-shirt. That's right. <laughs> That's right. 
So she, it was a blessing to bring her on to help us get the exact, you know, measurements that would be perfect for the burger and how it would scale and how that would affect the taste, all that stuff. So she's been a wonderful asset and still works with us today on uh, our future uh, stuff that we're working on now. She's like, it's going to be a whole vegan line eventually. All right, bro. You put it out there. Okay. You alluded to the future. Mm -hmm. I have one specific question. Well, no, that's not true, too. Okay. Question number one. What's the next product, bro? I mean, like, are you willing to spill some of those legendary beans? Like, what's the next product? Uh, (laughs) I will say this. We have a sausage in the works. We have chicken nuggets in the works. uh, And we have some other. I'll say those are the two things I'll mention. And then I'll say we have some other stuff in the works. But the one thing that I do want to say that we are definitely looking to be more than a vegan burger company. So I very carefully said vegan food company because it won't just be about burgers. Okay, fair enough. I know you've seen Pinky Cole in Atlanta doing her thug thizzle. Is there any idea of if you guys are going to do the same? I mean, listen, she's doing well, but she's not in D.C., you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and you got a product that is well received. You got that instant credibility you was talking about. You yeah. got Mark Cuban. Yeah. What do you think about the retail location? I don't think that that's going to be our avenue. I can't say I can't say no, but I don't think that that's going to be our approach. I think our approach is to put our burger in as many places as we can get it, uh, not from our own restaurant, but from being on somebody else's menu being in a grocery store, being available wholesale. Like, I think that's going to be our approach. Um, I can never say never because anything's possible, but we don't have any immediate plans for it. I definitely will say that. Like, we're our, our goal is just to get it in as many uh, people's hands and in many people's refrigerators as possible. I'll put it out there. I want to walk into Whole Foods and mm-hmm. pick up some legendary burgers, right? I want to go and get my like collard greens, my bok choy, um, vegan cheese, and also real cheese because we eat both in my house and pick up a burger. That's exactly what I want to do. I'm putting that out there for the next year. I will say that I think your wish will come true. That's the only thing I'll say. And we're going to defend the biscuits too. Oh, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother (laughs) podcast. That's a whole other episode. The way we kept legendary under wraps, it's the same approach with the biscuits. Yeah, there we go. Say there's that can be a whole nother podcast. Fair. (laughs) Good things are going to happen. Good things are happening. Uh, So I'm very happy about uh, where everything is going. Good times. All right, Jim. Okay, so (laughs) back to you doing 17 jobs. If you're talking to a young black or brown food entrepreneur who's interested in creating a food product and then getting it into stores, what is going to be your you know, top line advice for them? As far as getting a product in a grocery store, your biggest thing is A, making a, something that's scalable. So that's going to be the biggest thing if it's food. It's definitely got to be scalable. So if you don't know that evolution, you definitely need to get either a mentor or somebody that's in the space already, because it's not something you can just kind of stumble, stumble and figure out. Um, I, I, I think it, 
it'll be it'll be a rough rough road for you if you don't have somebody that's a mentor already in the space um two i think you really have to attach a a brand story to it like there are a million of everything so burgers fry, i mean whatever it is like cheat like i don't know what it is but whatever it's going to be really develop your ability to uh, have a brand story and to tell that brand story, because those are going to be the things that really stick with people, I think, and uh, just kind of uh, give you your own lane. Not that it, I, I don't really necessarily say set you apart, because I think everybody says set you apart, but just give, you want your own lane, like you want your own lane, and this is what Legendary is about, this is what this is about, and this is what this is about. So. And then just learning the the business side of it as a chef depends on who's doing it. But as a chef, I think chefs are very more artsy, like we're we're into the craft of it um, and we don't necessarily take the same uh, attention on the business side of it. So uh, having a well-balanced thing or build a team is important. I love that. I think that's the perfect ending point because, frankly, that is the same advice except for even the scalability part is the same advice I would give someone if they were like, I want to, you know, run a successful um, food blog or make money off of my content. It's like, you have to be able to tell your story so that people can relate to you. And so that you can build an identity that separates you from everyone else. You have to figure out how to scale without spiraling, right? How to manage when suddenly the (laughs) the number of responsibilities you have like quintuples. And you have to pay attention to the business side. Yes, Instagram is important and making fun videos is important, but like you have to pay taxes and things like that. So I think that's the perfect Big place facts. to end. <laughs> Big facts. Yeah, definitely don't be that person who's like, I just didn't pay taxes for the last six years because I was overwhelmed. And I'm like, ooh. We got stories for that too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jamoke, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you on guys. The- I appreciate it. It's been wonderful. Could you tell everyone where to find you online? Mr. Foodtastic uh, is where you can find me on every single platform. Uh, And please absolutely uh, go find and follow Go Legendary. So it's Go underscore Legendary. Um, And the website is golegendary.com. If you would love to go pick up some burgers uh, or some ground vegan meat, we would so appreciate it. I ha- I can attest actually that the burgers are damn good, um, and we're we're omnivores in my house. We experiment with a lot of vegan foods, yeah. uh, and I also have a lot of vegan friends or friends with food allergies. So I tend to cook things from all categories, so that when we have people over, I can actually make a dinner party meal that everyone can have. Yeah, and the Go Legendary burgers are very very good. I brought one home to Ahmed, and he came out from the office and took a bite of it cold and just was like, what is this for me, right? What is this? Because I'm going to eat it. <laughs> so if you haven't tried them, I highly recommend it. And thank you so much. This has been an awesome episode of the awesome. Picture Plate podcast on the Eat, Drink, and Dine Network. I'm Anella. We were on with Mr. Foodtastic, <laughs> Jamoke himself and KJ Kearney of Black Food Fridays. We will put everything in the show notes that you could possibly want to know. And we can't wait to sit down with you, hopefully soon, and we can all fix ourselves a plate and uh, sample from this incredible knowledge that Jamoke just dropped. So thank you so much. Thank you guys, I appreciate it. You guys are the best.